0: jakeem grant savior of ryan pace <laughs> and matt Nagy.
1: don't <laughs> take care of y'all chicken you feel me? gonna take care of y'all Mental. Welcome into the Fantasy execution Podcast. I am your host, Brett Pell Shoddy. With me now and always is my boy, Kyle Settle. What's going on, man? What up, my dude? So you had a little theory last week about rookie quarterbacks and kind of how they're playing right now and how we can kind of explain it away or kind of understand it a little bit better. I have an idea mm-hmm. of how mm-hmm. to kind of judge rookie quarterbacks while also still leaving some room for for growth and potential, you know, since their career is so short. So I want you to, to hear this, right? Okay. I am not really concerned about the stats. I'm not concerned about the type of throws um, he's he's being you know having success with or the ones that he's struggling with. I care about more the tendencies and the play demeanor. So, I think, ideally, which is going to sound funny, you want your rookie quarterback to play like Ryan Fitzpatrick. You want them to not be afraid. You want them to take shots, uh, to take risks, and to get that kind of gunslinger mentality established, and then you can kind of reel them in as they grow and kind of get more of a um, systematic approach to the offense, but... I just don't want to see my rookie quarterbacks come in and be timid and be afraid. And they're still going to make mistakes. Like They're obviously not going to be perfect. But at least if they're kind of aggressive and they're really going after it, you can start to see where their tools really uh, work in your offense and try to isolate that and attack that more.
0: So you must hate Justin Fields then and the start that he's gotten off to because he's pretty <laughs> much doing everything opposite. of. I mean, he did take some shots finally yeah. last week. Didn't see any of those, obviously, in his first start or when he came in on in relief. But I'm curious, so where, where does Mac Jones fall on this spectrum? Because obviously the two quote-unquote gunslingers of Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, they're definitely not afraid to take shots right now. They've proven that. Uh, Fields opened it up a little bit more last week. But the guy who's looked the most pro-ready – in in Mac, oh he hasn't taken many risks. He's been taking a lot of the dump downs, a lot of the short areas, a lot of the stuff that Bill is designing up for him. Where does he fall in that spectrum for you?
1: I think that speaks to what he's good at, which is Mm -hmm. playing within the structure of an offense. Those other guys, you draft those other guys to be better outside of structure. Mac Jones is more of a facilitator than he is a playmaker, and I think he's playing to his strengths. Now, obviously... You want him to be more aggressive, and I think as he gets more comfortable, he will. But in terms of what I already thought about him before he came in, he's living up, if not exceeding my expectations. So I think that's okay. I still don't think his ceiling is all that high as an NFL passer or even a fantasy passer, but he is doing kind of what I expected, but just at a higher level. So you have to be excited about him, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, he, I think he secured his his role with the team at the future moving forward. Because if you look at the weapons he has, this is something that I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking back on two, three years from now. Maybe New England start investing in the passing game and they're not rolling out these second run-of-the-mill tight ends on their on their second contract, hoping for that late breakout in their career. Same with the wide receivers on their third and fourth teams. Your best option there is your check down artist and Jacoby Myers in the slot and he's having a fine season. So look at the rest of the weapons and... Is it really all that surprising that he's not pushing the ball downfield to the guys that are just really, really no names? I mean, we see some sparks out of Nelson Aguilar, but I'm not ready to declare him any sort of elite or even above average wide receiver. So I'd agree with just about everything you said about playing within the structure, playing with what you're given. And I, I think we do see a lot of room for improvement if we see the weapons start to change in the future in New England.
1: Yeah. And we'll get into the the roundup and kind of go through all the games a little bit, but it is worth noting how he was forced to throw the ball forty something times Sunday night because they couldn't run yes. the ball at all.
0: And he handled that well.
1: Like he didn't even have really any turnover worthy plays in my opinion. Like he looked really good. Put him um, put him in a spot to win the game. Yeah, exactly. I and mean, that's all you can ask for, especially out of a rookie. I mean, come mm-hmm. on, against that great defense. That's impressive. With that, we'll move on to the news and the notes. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention?
0: I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! x, Street, x
1: Street,
0: read all about it. Check it out. Newspapers for sale.
1: We have breaking news. Breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom, goes the dynamite. Bears acquired wide receiver JaKeem Grant from the Dolphins in exchange for a 2023 6th round draft pick. So this is the uh <laughs> this is just one of those trades where it's just kind of shrug, you know. Yeah, whatever.
0: Sure. Yeah, probably not a lot of fantasy relevance here. It should be noted, I guess, and it's going to sound bad coming from me, but he does play the same sort of role as wide receiver as Darnell Mooney as that sort of field stretcher. Obviously, Mooney coming off a great week, I don't think his spot's in any jeopardy, but the fact that the Bears are attacking to try to get the same type of receiver that they already have on the roster does mean a little bit something to me. I'm not panicking by any means, but it is something to take note in.
1: Yeah, anytime a team trades assets, you have to at least note it, you know, all right, sounds good. They, they're acquiring a guy. Maybe they're looking mm-hmm. to upgrade that wide receiver three or four spot. Um, I think it probably says more about the wide receivers deep on that Bears depth chart than it does about Jake Grant, but that's enough of that. Chiefs, it's, coach. It's, oh, go ahead, sorry, go God. ahead. Nah, yeah. Sorry, I was
0: just going to say, it's, it's a move that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and obviously Ryan Pace doesn't have a track record of moves that do make sense. They're filling their team up with the same exact prototype wide receiver. It's Allen Robinson and a whole bunch of guys that are sub-six foot, under 200 pounds, and just four three-burners. And I don't understand how you're building a team like that when you don't really have a quarterback to represent that. I mean, maybe Justin Fields turns into that just launcher of the football, but you haven't played like that all season. So it seems like the general manager and the head coach are on completely opposite paths pages here on what they want the offense to look like
1: it probably is a desperation type move like guys like oh we got to get competitive justin fields is starting to show something i need to save my job i'm sending a sixth round pick for a guy with a little bit of juice you know what i mean you're here to hear
0: jakeem grant savior of ryan pace <laughs> and matt Nagy.
1: It, it just screams desperation and maybe jakeem grant uh, is that guy doubt it but we'll see Chiefs coach Andy Reid said Josh Gordon has a chance to play week five against the Bills. So this will be interesting to see in a game that's, I think all of us are expected to be quite the shootout. You know, maybe Josh Gordon starts his career in Kansas City with a bat.
0: Yeah, as of Tuesday he's been officially elevated to the 53 man roster. So it looks like he's going to suit up. Reed said the only thing in the delay was just making sure that he understood the offense, made sure he understands the playbook and I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the field for multiple plays and see him draw a little something up, give him a few touches here and there, but we both agree and I think most people aren't really aren't really uh waving the flag for Josh Gordon fantasy relevance anytime soon.
1: No, it maybe it'll clear things up in terms of who is going to get the most snaps out of that, that trio of random guys, you know, Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, and uh, Miko Hardman. But other than that, I don't know if there's much to take from it. That's it for the news. We just had a short news section today. We need to get into these injuries, though. Time for the injury roundup. ESPN's Dan Graziano reports David Montgomery will miss four to five weeks with a knee injury. So David Montgomery, when he went down, it looked like a season ender. You know, kind of sucked when – we we talked about David Montgomery in the offseason, how he is just a bona fide good running back and with enough volume he could be very fantasy relevant. You know he started off a little slow like everybody in Chicago but now he's going to be out for for quite a long time and that might open things up for uh, Damian Williams.
0: Yeah, completely agree with that. Montgomery he's really been having one of those seasons where he's doing a lot more for the Bears than he is for your fantasy team. He he's been. A little bit too much the the between-the-20s guys where he's going to get you a ton of yards, but not a lot of catches, not a lot of touchdowns until this last week where we saw them score three on the ground, one to his predecessor, Damian Williams, who now looks like he's going to have that lead role secured for the next several weeks. And the biggest difference between Williams and Montgomery, I think, is that Williams is much more a... Uh, satellite-esque type guy, get out in space, catch the football. That was his role for all those years uh, for the most part in Kansas City. But we have seen him in that lead role before and in the aforementioned Chiefs, and so I expect him to roll right back in. Probably not the same ceiling or floor that we had out of Montgomery for the month or two that he's going to be out, but definitely worth uh, a flex play depending on your roster. Obviously, he should be rostered at this point. He should have been rostered already, but I'm not – breaking the bank on a trade or an offer or anything like that to give me Damian Williams, even if I am the Montgomery owner, because the way we saw Montgomery ceiling capped, it's going to affect Damian Williams, I think even more. So I think it's probably a top 20 ceiling on any given week, but a floor is somewhere that's unplayable.
1: Yeah. And not to mention, I mean, the same issues are going to occur for Damian Williams. Like you said, the, the offensive line is, is poor and mm-hmm. Tariq Cohen could be coming back soon Uh, I know he started the the year on the pop I believe that's six weeks on the bench so you know he's coming up on that date to get back in so maybe he comes in and that window is even shorter for Damian Williams to be relevant I know that they like Tariq Cohen in Chicago and I'm sure they'll want to get him involved as soon as he's able so keep an eye on that backfield it's going to be changing over the next few weeks Uh, might be a place to scoop up some value we can Speaking on Monday, Coach Kyle Shanahan said that Jimmy Garoppolo's calf injury was, quote, wasn't as bad as we thought, and he will be reevaluated on Wednesday. So Jimmy Garoppolo had that calf injury, missed uh, all the second half, and uh, after the game, he said himself that he thinks it's, uh, he'll be out for a week or two. Uh, come to find out, it's not, not a terrible injury, so maybe the uh, trade Lance train is going to come to a stop a little quicker than we thought.
0: I'd still be really surprised if it's not Trey Lance this upcoming week. But at the same time, like they said, they're going to reevaluate on Wednesday. Yeah, we're going to know more about this later on the week. Something to pay attention to.
1: Yeah, he, he looked a little downtrodden in that interview uh, after the game. He looked just yeah. beat up. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses at least a week. Well, Sky you got to think
0: in his mind, he's got to be looking at it as this injury, if it keeps me off the field for an extended time, I'm just opening the door for the Trey Lance era to begin. We all know it's inevitable. Jimmy, I'm sure, wants to hold him off at least for the rest of the season, make the Super Bowl push. But if an injury takes him off the field like we've seen so many times over his career, then, yeah, that's got to be a little disheartening.
1: Yeah, I mean, ask uh, Tyrod Taylor, Justin Herbert, how that went last year. Sure. Or, you know, all the countless stories of rookie quarterbacks. There's one in. every year. Yeah, it yeah. happens every year. Uh, this could just be the defining moment in the season for the 49ers where they're at a bit of a crossroads, At two 2-2, and two, uh, didn't look great this past week, so maybe they're, they're looking for more upside. Trey Lance obviously provides that, or at least in theory, provides that for the, for the 49ers. Jaguars placed wide receiver DJ Chark on the injured reserve with an ankle injury. Uh, obviously, this one happened on Thursday. It looked pretty brutal. Uh, reports came out immediately that he should be out for the season, and now it's a, he is officially on the injured reserve. So... Who do you think this benefits the most on that offense in Jacksonville?
0: Yeah, easily Marvin Jones. I could say Chenault may get some more targets, but the thing is they're completely different in the style of play as wide receiver. Chenault is – much more a an, almost an H-back than he is as a deep threat. Or at least that's the way he's been utilized so far. But I think it's it's definitely Marvin Jones just because he and Chark both play almost the exact same role. They're almost two Z receivers in the same offense who are just going to go out there and try to spread the field. And now, instead of having to go week to week, try to pick which one it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be Marvin Jones' role for the rest of the season for Lawrence, who leads the league in deep ball attempts.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if Urban Meyer could focus on getting – LaVisca Chanel into a role that actually suits him as opposed to like 20 year old blondes, then maybe we would uh, be in a better spot right now. But I think you're right. <laughs> Marvin Jones gets the biggest bump here. Uh, moving on. NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reports that Will Fuller has a broken finger and is considered week to week. Man, Will Fuller, the ever injured deep threat. I mean, did he's always, he's always productive and he's always really fun to watch, but man, he gets just never stay on the field ever. Well, I mean, the good news
0: is you weren't playing him until Tua was back anyway. So let's go ahead and get all these onesie twosies week to week. Go ahead and heal up so you can play a solid three, maybe even four games before getting hurt again once Tua is (laughs) back. It's
1: brutal, man. Uh, ESPN's Adam Schechter reports Logan Thomas is expected to be week to week with a hamstring. I started him this week and uh, he immediately Mm. got out. Uh, With that hamstring injury, gave me a big old fat goose egg, uh, but I still still beat Dwight. Suck it, Dwight. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, in that Washington offense, it might open things up. That those short area targets might become more available for a guy like Curtis Samuel, who got his first work of the season last week, or even De'Ami Brown, depending on how they plan on using that rookie.
0: Yes, the wide receivers may get some targets to open up. Ricky Seals-Jones, the name to know for who's going to probably be his replacement at tight end. Very possible that he is out there on waivers, even in Dynasty, and I think he's definitely worth an ag, but absolutely temper your expectations. It seems like ever since Fitzpatrick went down, Heineke has done nothing, but look for Terry McLaurin over and over and over and over. And his sort of second check down was Logan Thomas. So maybe it's this the tight end being the young quarterback's best friends. Maybe it's just the the mind meld you have with that former quarterback. I don't expect Ricky G- Seals-Jones to jump in and just immediately take off on that Logan Thomas role where he's a low-end top 12 tight end on any given week. But is worth a stash, especially if your tight end is in ruins or you are the Logan Thomas owner.
1: And we have to give... Uh... A shout-out to J.D. McKissick. You know He's been getting a ton of targets, kind of valuable targets, too, out of the backfield. Maybe that increases as well. Hopefully, Antonio Gibson gets his due as a wide receiver as well. We know he can produce there, but it doesn't seem like they're too inclined to use him. Next up, Teddy Bridgewater is in the league's concussion protocol. He missed about half of last week's game against the Ravens. Mm -hmm. Drew Locke came in, did not look like the good version of Drew Locke um, that we saw for parts of the year last year and parts of his rookie year. Man, this offense is definitely capped without Teddy Bridgewater. Um, not that Teddy was a fantastic quarterback, but he was being what we were afraid that, you know, he couldn't provide uh, in the past, which is attacking downfield, uh being more decisive, trying to advance the offense as opposed to being as conservative as we're used to with him. So without Teddy B, you have Drew Locke throwing to guys like Courtney Sutlin. Cortland Sutton, -er (laughs) Corlander, we've seen those two connect quite a bit, but man, I I think this hurts almost everybody on that Denver offense.
0: Yeah, up to and including Corduroy, Sutherland. It's going to be a tough blow for everyone. But hey, credit where it's due. Teddy Bridgewater has been, like you said, a day and night different quarterback from what we've seen from him. Uh, really dating back since pre-injury to Minnesota. He's been pushing the ball downfield, and it's been been—it's been a smaller sample size because obviously you have the Judy injury, you have the Hamler injury, you have Sutton really taking a couple of weeks to come back from his injury last season. It's just an offense that's been beaten up, so hopefully Teddy Bridgewater makes his way back out of the concussion protocol. and It's still very possible he comes back as soon as this week, but I would say I'd probably expect to be without him, make other plans in Superflex, and I doubt
1: you were starting him in single quarterback. And in Cincinnati, the Bengals coach, Zach Taylor, called Joe Mixon day-to-day with an ankle sprain. So Joe Mixon has a spotted history with injuries, and here he sustained another one, quote-unquote day-to-day, but man, an ankle sprain doesn't exactly sound too encouraging, at least for this week.
0: Yeah, You saw it happen on Thursday night down in the fourth quarter. It kept him off the field for that last drive or two in the ballgame there. And As a manager, it's something you always hate to see, obviously when you see the injury happening on game day. Hopefully, it's a low ankle sprain. Hopefully, it's more minor, but we've seen those high ankle sprains. They could put you on the shelf for several months. Hopefully, that won't be the case for Mixon. Another one where you can monitor his uh, practice reports throughout the the week, see how how much work he's getting in. If he doesn't get back to practice in at least a limited fashion by friday then you can expect to be without him and this is one of those backfields where i'm really not interested in a handcuff Samaj p ryan uh chris uh evans guys to monitor but i don't i think they're going to split that one up too much in an offense or in a rushing game that really just doesn't have enough value unless you are that joe mixon superstar type player so i'm leaving those guys where they are and i'm very hesitant to
1: start either one if i have to yeah, he was getting a ton of volume so if they plan to run as much as they they were, with Joe Mixon healthy, you'd like to think that there is some value to be found. Um, if I had to pick one guy, I'd say Chris Evans, just because I think we know what Samaj run is. Um, he's had some some good sure. performances here and there, but Chris Evans, a rookie out of Michigan, I think he was kind of underrated in the draft process because, as we know, Michigan has been a, a you know a dumpster fire over the past few years, and not many weapons have come out of there. Uh, looking like roses or smelling like roses, but uh, Chris Evans after that draft process, I think he jumped up people's boards, but landing behind Joe Mixon, he was kind of forgotten about. This might be an opportunity for him to really show something and be that uh, bona fide handcuff for Joe Mixon when he comes back.
0: And an outstanding Captain America. This
1: is America's ass. Language! All right, on to the week four recap. Wait wait a second. No one else is going to deal with the fact that Cap just said Language. I know. I'm gonna start us off. Tennessee went to New York, and the J E T S Jets 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 get their first win. Zach Wilson got to play his first average defense, and it was a really good day. I mean, he threw for 297 and two with one pick. wasn't exactly his fault, but you know, it's just another interception. Tack it on. Uh, this is an impressive stat to me, he said he had 167 yards on passes, 20 yards or more down the field. That led the league in Week 4, so he is being aggressive, just like we talked about before, it's what you want to see. He went to Jamison Crowder and Corey Davis often in this one, and Corey Davis had a big day to boot 100 yards and a score in his first big game since Week 1. On Tennessee's side, uh, Brian Tannehill had a respectable day, considering he was missing his two top targets, but the offense will obviously look much different when those guys get back. It was the Derrick Henry show. He had 33 carries and another two catches, bringing his total to 13 creeping up on that career high total
0: issue. Yeah, Tannehill falls to a career 5-19 and 19 in games where he has to attempt 40 or more passes. Not a good mark you want out of your quarterback there. But the other side, the Jets, their first win of the season in overtime and their first win as a franchise following a shutoff loss in over 10 years. Our boy Zach Wilson becomes the first Jets quarterback with two or more touchdown passes in each of his first four starts since Chad Pennington back in 2002.
1: Whoa, deep
0: cut. Over now to Eastern Penn Pennsylvania, where the Philadelphia Eagles dropped their third in a row. Now to the Kansas City Chiefs, 42-30 to the final there. Andy Reid becomes the first ever NFL head coach to score 100 wins with multiple franchises. Outstanding job by the Grizzly veteran. Mahomes becomes the fourth quarterback in the Super Bowl era with three or more passing touchdowns in each of his first four games of the season. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, back-to-back 100-yard rushing games, the first chief to do that since Kareem Hunt in his rookie season. And on the other side, Jalen Hurts, second quarterback ever, with 30 or more rushing yards in each of his first eight career starts. Shoddy, can you name the other one?
1: Lamar Jackson.
0: Terrell Pryor. Nice guess.
1: Yeah, Big Red went into Philly and dominated his former team. Good for him. Uh, but anybody on your team, if they have a matchup against Kansas City, they're a good bet to fire. If the Eagles can can score a lot of fantasy points against Kansas City, then anybody can. Uh, Jalen Hurts, obviously, quarterback one and his wide receiver one. Finally had a big day. Devontae Smith coming in for seven catches, 122 yards. Good to see. I think it's important to note Kenny Gainwell and Miles Sanders are essentially 1A, 1B at this point. We need to be... You know, cautious of that, monitor that as the season goes. Unless Miles Sanders explodes and regains control of that offense, him and Kenny Gainwell will be splitting touches from here on out. Down in Dallas, the Cowboys keep rolling as they defeat the Carolina Panthers at home, 36-28. to Carolina is one of three teams to suffer their first loss this past week. But Sam Donald had an up-and-down day, saved by two more still uncharacteristic rushing touchdowns. Uh, don't get used to it. He's had five through four games. Dual threat Darnold.
0: (laughs) Dual threat Darnold. He's
1: had five rushing touchdowns in four games. That's most by any quarterback in that amount of games since 1950. So regression should be ringing. All right, B.J. Moore, he's a stud in all caps. Robbie Anderson, far out target. Terrace Marshall in this one, so we need to pay attention to that. On the other side, Zeke, man, he's been playing great. He has had his highest rushing total this past week since week 10 of 2019. He's averaging 6.4 yards per rush over the past two weeks. And his offensive line have three of the top five highest graded offensive linemen in football, according to PFF.
0: Yeah, another Dallas Cowboy coming off another great week is Dalton Schultz. He's had a better than 25% target share in back-to-back weeks for the Cowboys. On the other side, Chuba Hubbard, virtually the same touch percentage as CMC was getting early on the season, but this is what it equates to when you're not that difference-making running back. Robbie Anderson, as you mentioned, out-targets Terrace Marshall 11-3 in the game, but the alpha is still DJ Moore, over a 30% target share on the season. Down to the Bayou, the home opener for the New Orleans Saints ends in a negative fashion. They lose to the New York Giants in overtime 27-21. Saquon Barkley, the game-winning six-yard touchdown run in overtime. Kadarius Toney, in a just-beaten and battered receiver core, ends up with a 25% target share. And Daniel Jones, his second-quarter interception was just his second pick in the last 10 games. Taysom Hill steals two rushing touchdowns on the ground. I'm sure Alvin Kamara shareholders love seeing that. Derrick Henry, at this point in the season, has more catches than Alvin Kamara. Wow, that's insane.
1: John Ross is back, baby. Nah, I'm just kidding. Easy. But it was kind of funny All to see. Down. <laughs> Honestly, the, uh, the recipe for the win here, force-feeding Saquon and Kenny Galladay worked out. And I think for fantasy purposes... You can kind of expect more volume going to these guys as it was the only win they've had so far it was on the back of those two guys after throwing for 402 yards daniel jones the fourth highest rated passer according to pff this year really impressive stuff from him it just shows how bad the giants are as they get their first win when daniel jones is playing his best football of his career over to minnesota where the Vikings fall to the Cleveland Browns, 14-7. Captain Kirk had me all hot and bothered last week and then provided a dud. Uh, he, uh, he really struggled. Other than Justin Jefferson, it seems like everybody on Minnesota had a rough week. That Cleveland defense is dominant, and I think we need to treat them as such going forward. Uh, for Cleveland, we have back-to-back weeks of Kareem Hunt finishing ahead of Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb without the passing volume or the receiving volume, excuse me, he's just never going to have that high of a ceiling um, unless they're really blowing somebody out and he gets a ton of carries. Odell, he doesn't pay off a big opportunity as only Rashad Higgins was there to compete with him for targets. Not necessarily his fault as Baker had a very bad day. Uncharacteristically bad accuracy from Baker in that game yesterday, but I won't let that ruin my opportunity to shit on Odell. He was bad. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the Browns defense, like you said, outstanding. They've allowed single-digit points in back-to-back games for the first time since they returned to the NFL back in 1999. Cleveland, back-to-back, 3-1 starts for the first time in over 25 years. Nick Chubb, getting the same amount of work as he's gotten for the majority of his career, but it's just not turning into fantasy points. He's averaging about four points per game less than he did last season. And on the other side, the Vikings, Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, combined for just 11.5 PPR fantasy points. On now to the other NFC North team, Chicago and Detroit. The Bears get the win. 24 to 14 Matt Nagy gets a 6 win and 7 tries against Detroit as the head coach of the Chicago Bears. So hey, there's a silver lining. Matt Nagy does have success. It just takes the Detroit Lions. TJ Hawkinson finishes outside the top 12 tight ends for the second week in a row. The Lions become the first team since at least 1993 to have the ball inside their opponent's 10-yard line in each of the first three drives
1: and not score on any of them. Wow. Justin Fields has less than five fantasy points in back-to-back weeks, so he sucks, right? Uh, maybe, but I doubt it. I mean, if you saw some But did the- you see
0: the preseason? <laughs>
1: did you see the preseason? <laughs> those deep shots that he took to uh, A-Rob and Donald Mooney, they, they were some great fr- throws, and you don't really make those on accident. Uh, that's what he was best at in college, deep, deep ball accuracy, and he did uh, he did show that, albeit against Detroit, but he did show that this week, so that's, that's impressive. It's good to see. And uh, how about Khalif Raymond, man? Back-to-back solid performances. Yeah. Maybe maybe opening a cell window, but on to Buffalo, where Houston walked into a buzzsaw. They get... Get blanked 40 to 0, Davis Mills had negative 9 fantasy points. I've never Jesus. seen that in my life, and I don't think I'm <laughs> gonna see it again. A rough one full of Davey Mills there. For the Bills, the uh, the running backs nearly a perfect split in the workload there, uh, but Moss got the touchdown, so he outscored Singletary this week. Uh, I'm not sure if you can predict which one of those guys is going to be better going forward. So maybe just to wait and see, try to avoid those guys if you can. Stefan Diggs finally had a blow-up game going for 114 yards on 10 targets. That marks his 40th target on the year, and he's had zero drops. The really impressive stuff from Stephon Diggs, And another week of Dawson Knox still on the show. He had two touchdowns on eight targets. Only 38 yards, but it does seem to be a priority for them to get the ball to him in the red zone.
0: Yeah, every week I really struggle coming up with something to say about the Houston Texans, and I'm so jealous of that negative nine Davis Mills Hey, told you whenever <laughs> he got the job. Opens up a cell window. I'm not willing to hold on through this ride. I'm getting out from under there as soon as I can. On Buffalo, that's their second largest shutout victory in franchise history. As you said, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, splitting touches almost right down the middle since Moss has been active in Week 2, and Stephon Diggs extends his streak of a 23% or greater target share in every game this season. On down to Miami, where the Dolphins drop another one, this time to the Indianapolis Colts, 27-17. Dolphins man, just 35 rushing yards, their fewest in a game since 2019, On the other side, a little more success. Jonathan Taylor gets his lowest running back rush share of the season at just 57% of the touches, but breaks 70 yards rushing for the first time this season. Mo Alleycock scores two touchdowns, matching his total from 2019 and 2020 combined. And welcome back to the win column, Carson Wentz. His first win as a starter since week eight of last season.
1: Oh, man. This was a battle for who's going to provide a better draft pick for the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> nice. In reality, both these teams have been pretty disappointing. So it was good to see JT have a day. He was explosive, well utilized, and productive. Everything we kind of hoped uh, from him to start the year just has been very slow. Michael Pittman continued to see volume through the air, which is good to see. If there is a pass catcher I want in this game, it is Michael Pittman and uh, Miles Gaskin. Man, I think it's about time we take a victory lap. Over in, <laughs> yeah, <should> so. <laughs> Over in Atlanta, Washington almost bit off more than they could chew in the road trip down there, but they snuck out with a 34-30 win. Taylor Heinecke, uh, he looked okay, uh, but more importantly, he supported some, some fantasy production. Terry had a monster week, 123 yards and a touchdown, while Gibson and McKissick kind of cannibalized each other, but they both had usable weeks as well. It's just hard to see Gibson's ceiling getting very high with McKissick sticking around especially with those receptions out of the backfield the true story in this one was Cordell Patterson the RB1 on the week man this guy is blowing up I got to get our stats guy on this but I'm not sure we've ever seen a guy break out at age 30 but here we are (laughs) (laughs) he's a startable RB2 or flex option for the rest of the season if you need him
0: It was absolutely the Cordero Patterson show. That was his third straight top 20 RB finish this season and his second in the top five. Becomes the first running back in Falcons history, and they've had some good ones with three receiving touchdowns in a game. Washington, good for the real football team. They get their first win against Atlanta since 2013. They had dropped six in a row before Sunday. A divisional matchup against the tough NFC West opponents. Seattle gets the win 28-21 over the San Francisco 49ers. And in spite of San Francisco outgaining the Seahawks by 223 total yards, Russell Wilson joins some elite company. Peyton Manning as the only two quarterbacks with 100 or more wins in their first 10 seasons. Debo Samuel tied with only Cooper Cup as the only two receivers with a 25% or better target
1: share in all four games this season. Now i got to follow you up with some more praise for Debo. He's had 11 receptions of 15-plus yards. That's tied for most in the league with Terry McLaren and Kenny Gollivan. So in some pretty good company there. Uh, Brandon Ayuk is the scariest player in fantasy. Not sure what to do about it. I know he is so much more talented than what we've seen. But, man, this is just kind of bad showing this far. And uh, if you didn't have any context, you'd think Lance had kind of an amazing start to his career. But both those touchdowns were... We're suspect one was an underthrown ball to a wide open receiver and the other was not garbage time. So once again, the say it a million times with these rookie quarterbacks. Take a deep breath. We'll wait and see. here. Over in L.A., Arizona came in. They saw and they conquered by a score of 37-20. to 20. Kyler Murray's MVP bid gets stronger and he's been truly amazing. The QB2 only behind Patrick Mahomes in our league after Pat Mahomes threw five touchdowns in Philly. But uh, other than that, Chase Edmonds and James Conner, they both went off finishing as RB1s in the week. Man, this game was disappointing to be a fan of. Well, I heard, uh, to be a football fan watching a good game, but it was an explosive game for Arizona, and Arizona fans have to be happy with what they're seeing out of their targets and running backs thus far. On the other side, Dal Henderson comes back, and Sammy Michelle has negative points. <laughs> yeah, just uh, kind of don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. We told you so, so there you go. If only you would have heard
0: that somewhere. Daryl Henderson has finished top 16 in all three games he's played this season. Van Jefferson quietly catches all six of his targets and is outscoring Robert Woods on the season. Yikes. On the other side, Arizona with the win. They've dropped 30 or more points and 400 or more yards in every single game they've played this season. And it is happening without DeAndre Hopkins. He has fewer than five catches in three straight games. That's the first and only time that's happened to him since his rookie season. On now to the frozen tundra, Green Bay beats Pittsburgh 27-17. Aaron Rodgers ties Dan Marino for six most-passing touchdowns all-time. And will move into fifth place ahead of Phillip Rivers with two more touchdowns next week. First time Randall Cobb has had multiple receiving touchdowns in a game since back in 2015. Green Bay might their first regular season win against Pittsburgh since Brett Favre led them to victory back in 1995. Ben Roethlisberger continues to struggle. He's lost six of his last eight and is yet to finish higher than QB 24 on the season.
1: Yeah, man, Pittsburgh looks bad. I mean, the offensive line looks like a D3 unit. And because of that, there's no long developing plays. I mean, nothing is viable down the field. You need to stick with assets that are near or, or at the line of scrimmage like Deontay Johnson, Maybe 2G Smith-Schuster and Najee Harris, obviously. But speaking of Deontay, remember those drop problems that he had last year? Well, so far he had 35 targets on the year and zero drops. Also, shout out Randall Cobb. I wouldn't get too excited about him, but, uh, you know, cool to see. Just don't go chasing those points. And in games without a touchdown this year, which is three of four weeks of the year, Robert Tynan has finished as the tight end 42, 47, and 40. So, so far he's truly a touchdown or bust tight end over Pitchman in the
0: same company as 20 other guys
1: exactly uh, over in denver the ravens flew to the rockies to take on the broncos and left with the dub 23 to 7 we got a surprise right before this game started when tyson williams was listed as a healthy scratch in his stead latavius murray saw the lion's share of the touches and Le'Veon bell was in there to spell him as well Hopefully, hopefully you got rid of Tyson while you could. The pass catchers, Hollywood, redeemed himself uh, with his drops last week and had a deep shot touchdown. Very impressive catch. Uh, That connection seems to be strong so far this year between him and Lamar. He has finished as the wide receiver 19, 5, and 18 in games where he scores this year. Without a touchdown, he was the wide receiver 57. So that's kind of just the way it is when you're a deep threat. Teddy B was, con- was concussed, so looks like we'll get Drew Locke for at least a week. Javante Williams looks like the better back, and it's, it's not really close. What he did in college is exactly what he's doing in the NFL breaking tackles, forcing missed tackles. And I think it's just a matter of time before he takes that backfield
0: completely agree. Kid looks explosive. The offense, however, does not just seven points. Teddy B and Drew Locke combined for only 178 yards on 37 pass attempts. The Ravens, on the other side, they get their first win in Denver in 20 years. Their 102 yards on the ground is actually the fewest ever in the Lamar Jackson era. Latavius Murray gets a 78% touch share with Tyson Williams as that surprise healthy scratch. So. Maybe a silver lining. This becomes the Latavius Murray backfield. <laughs> all right, and the highlight event of the week, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the return beat the New England Patriots 19-17. Tom Brady becomes the all-time passing leader and adds to his resume by defeating all 32 NFL teams. He's the fourth quarterback ever to do that. Quick shoty, name the other three.
1: Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and shit.
0: Look over my shoulder. Look over my shoulder. Brett Favre. There it is. The Patriots. They dropped their first three home games for the first time since 1993. Yikes. New England finishes with negative one rushing yards, just the third team in the
1: Super Bowl era to finish with a rushing total below zero. As your boy Aaron Rodgers recently said, how could you not be romantic about football? This is one of the better storylines you're going to hear in a single regular season game. What's not cool is that negative one rushing yard, Harris, man, that's rough, is that fewest allowed rushing yards by the Bucks in team history and the fewest gained by the Patriots in team history. So uh, some more record setting going on tonight. Matt Jones was deadly against the Blitz. He was 18 of 22 for 173 yards and a touchdown. Impressive stuff from the rookie against a tough pass rush and a good overall defense there. And uh, we finally got to see what a running back with a workhorse level volume in Tampa Bay would look like. Uh, Lenny had 23, touch, uh, 23 touches for 138 yards, and he was the RB9 going into Monday night, so impressive stuff. On Monday night, we had a bit of a rain delay, but eventually, the Raiders played the Chargers, and uh, in that end of that first half, we thought the game was over, Chargers up 21-0. Brian Edwards only had one target in the first half. Things were looking rough, uh, but Darren Waller and company stormed back Ended up not being enough as Austin Eckler has another blow-up game. This guy is really impressing me. Uh, Definitely considered a top or an RB1 this year. Remember back right before the season, he was
0: my can't miss, no doubt, whatever we were calling it, guaranteed to beat his ADP look to be on track for that one. He scores on the ground and through the air for the third time in his career. Only LT Ladanian Tomlinson has more in team history. Justin Herbert becomes the first ever quarterback to reach 500 completions before his 20th career start. And after going 11 straight games without a score, Hunter Renfro now back-to-back weeks with a touchdown. He's a favorite target of Derek Carr because he can be open by three or four yards and doesn't run more than 10 yards downfield. But Derek Carr becomes the first Raiders quarterback with two or more touchdowns in each of the team's first four games of the season
1: all right that's it that's the end of the week for review now it is time to get on to our contenders and rebuilders buys and sells last week when i had the contenders i told you guys to buy miles sanders man that's not that's not looking too good it looks like it's coming back man, to bite the um, but you know the process was there his peripheral numbers were there we're focusing on the right details here just a miss and I'll, I'll own that one for sure Uh, You, your Rebuilder buy was who? Uh,
0: Last week went with Jacoby Myers as my Rebuilder buy. It's been a week and a half now. We skipped the Thursday show. I had just really busy weeks for both of us, so we're a little bit behind here. But Jacoby Myers since then has had back-to-back weeks with heavily involved usage in the offense. That's just going to be his M.O. He's not going to score you a ton of touchdowns, and he's not going to break a 200-yard game, but he will be a very steady floor in that wide receiver three or that flex. I continue to say, Rebuilders, get in if you can. His ceiling is always
1: going to be there. And my contender self from a week and a half ago was Tony Pollard. He followed that up with two weeks of being a uh, low-end RB2, high-end RB3. So it looks like a guy that you're not going to want to keep around as a contender. I think that was a good call. Get rid of Tony Pollard to a rebuilder who thinks he can use him in the future. Yep, and my rebuilder
0: sell Sony Michelle. Remember, this is right after the Daryl Henderson injury, where Sony Michelle was set to make his first and most likely only start of the season against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I told you to get out. Hopefully, you did because he was pretty dreadful. And now with Daryl Henderson back, he has taken regained full control of that backfield.
1: All right, now onto onto our new picks this week. I have the contenders, and Kyle, you have the rebuilders. So we're gonna start with the buys. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 Okay, I love you. Bye-bye. Not knock, knock. Who's that? <laughs> Bye-bye. Yeah. bye. All right. So, if you're a contender, I suggest that you buy Robert Woods. So, Robert Woods, tough start to the year. So, through three games, he had 11 catches, 127 yards on just 19 targets. Uh, that had him at wide receiver 46, right? We have to squint through the blinding blinding light that is Cooper Cup to remember that Robert Woods is also a very good wide receiver and one of a lot of us were drafting before Cup in the uh, draft process this past offseason. So why is he starting slow? Why did he at least start slow for those first three weeks, had a touchdown this past week? Well, actually, if you look at his career, that's that's pretty much on, on par with what he's done to start the year with the Rams for three of the past four years. In 2012, or 2020, excuse me, through three games, he had 13 catches for 182 yards, no touchdowns. In 2019, through three games, he had 13 catches, 143 yards, no touchdowns. In 2018, he had a really hot start to his year. And in 2017, through three games, he only had 10 catches and 169 yards. So you get the point. He he has historically started slow. And I feel like we're kind of forgetting that because we're seeing such a massive start for Cooper Cup. So remember When we see trends with certain players, sometimes it's just that's the way it is. And his career, he's always started fairly slow. So what's different this year? Well, what we loved about him before was that he was catching passes from Jared Goff, and we knew that he always had a very high floor, not a very high ceiling. He was a perennial wide receiver too, which is great to have on your team, especially as the second wide receiver on your team. But he was never quite a league winner. Now, I think buying him this low can turn him into a league winner for you. He gets Stafford, right? I don't know if you remember, but Rams traded for Stafford, and he's playing like the MVP. His I ceiling, remember. <laughs> his ceiling is now very high. And obviously, Cooper Cup has been the man through three weeks. This past week, uh, Woods did score, and he outscored Cup. But I don't think anybody would bat an eye if Robert Woods took over for Cup as the season went on. You know that they're both very talented. Uh, one guy's just seeing a lot more volume currently, one guy's starting slow, as he always does in Robert Woods. But even if he didn't overtake Cooper Cup, and he just kind of slowly caught up to him, the schedule is juicy enough that both of them could eat. We, we saw that they want to throw a ton, so if Woods starts getting the volume, I don't think there's any reason why he can't produce as a wide receiver two, if not alone wide receiver one most weeks. So listen to the next four opponents that he has coming up. This month ahead of him is is insane he has the Seahawks we know how bad their secondary is he has the Giants they've been one of the worst defenses in football so far he has the Lions who we talked about is everybody's favorite cup of tea when it comes to a uh, bounce back game a get right game and then the Texans who just lost 40 to 0 to the Buffalo Bills so the next month if you get him now you have a month of auto starts, in my opinion, for Robert Woods. I think he could be a fantastic star for you. You just have to forget the early part of the season because, as I said earlier, he always starts slow. You look at his playoff schedule, he has the Seahawks again, he has the Vikings, and then the Ravens. So if you're in the playoffs, you get two fantastic matchups between the Seahawks and the Vikings. And then, if you make it to the championship, you get the Ravens. So we know he has the talent. He's shown it for about eight years now. Uh, We know he has the best quarterback he's ever had. We know he's on the best offense he's ever had, he's ever been on. And uh, the schedule lines up perfectly for him to fire starting here in uh, week five. So whether he catches up the cup or not, or just balls out alongside him, I think he's worth a buy for all championship contenders.
0: Yeah, this one, it's somewhere between obvious and bold. I don't know which one it's going to be on. I guess only (laughs) time will tell. But anyone who... If preseason I told you Robert Woods got off to this kind of start, I, I don't think anyone would hesitate to buy. But here we are sitting in week five and the slow start has happened. And I'm not as confident on you as pulling the trigger. I would not go as far to say that you're going to be wrong or anything like that. I don't have anything to say that because you're right. The historical data does back it up that Robert Woods is eventually going to turn it around and he's going to finish much stronger than he starts. But historical data never had Matt Stafford in here, and what if Matt Stafford really just only has eyes for Cooper Cup? It is a possibility that you at least need to think about, and right now I do think he's attainable, because I think that's almost a 50-50 split on how you feel about that. Is it just going to be the Cooper Cup show, or is Robert Woods eventually going to get back involved? So if you are one who feels like, for all the reasons that you laid out, Robert Woods is destined for greater things then this is probably the time because if it happens it's going to happen over the next four weeks and you're not going to be able to get them that robert woods manager is going to breathe that massive sigh of relief and he's not going to be as attainable as he is now so if you're sold this is definitely the buy window especially if you're on that championship run all right for me looking into the future my Rebuilder Bye. This is the first time I think that I'm not going with a wide receiver early on in the season. And I'm going to move to the tight end position where I'm going to tell you that Noah Fant is a person to target if you are a Rebuilder. He's currently the tight end 11 in half PPR. So not off to the strongest start. Still a low end tight end one. Most impressive thing about him so far is his age. He's 23 years old. That marks him the third youngest of all the top twenty-four tight ends. The only two that are younger than him, Kyle Pitts, Pat a couple of rookies. Seems like we've had Noah Fant in the league for quite a while, but still only 23 years old. Through four games, 18 catches, 156 yards, and two touchdowns. Not a remarkable start, but that's why he's a bye. If he would have exploded out of the gates, you wouldn't be able to attain him right now. He'd be one of those top five or six tight ends in the league. And pretty much impossible to let go of currently Noah Fant his final numbers that I just read off not impressive but his peripherals the frequency of his targets are severely impressive Fant currently has a 20 percent target share second on the team just behind Cortland Sutton and is seventh in the league among tight ends Denver has vacated nearly 20% of their targets over the last few weeks with the losses of Jerry Judy and then obviously KJ Hamler a couple of weeks ago. So there are targets opening up to lose 20% already in the season between Judy and Hamler. Those targets have to funnel somewhere. Fant is currently receiving 27% of red zone targets, which leads the team by almost 10% over Cortland Sutton. And remember, that's supposed to be where Cortland Sutton makes his money, is in the red zone, that big body who can go up and get a ball for you. Fant is the number one. Cortland Sutton has been the number two. He is tied for 17th most red zone targets in the NFL and tied for fourth at the tight end position. The peripherals are all there. Everything you want, the targets, the quarterback having eyes for him, they're all there. It just hasn't formulated into that big blow-up game yet, and that's probably because the Broncos have not been passing the ball at the clip I expect them to be at moving forward. They're currently 23rd in the NFL in pass attempts. Not impressive, so when you have that small of a pie, it is unlikely that you're going to have one or multiple targets step up and be that dominant force at their position. And it's because the Broncos, in their first four games of the season, they won three of those games by double digits. They had such a soft, soft start to the season that those games weren't competitive. And this last season, we saw the game script flipped. It was also an uncompetitive game. They were just outclassed by the Baltimore Ravens. That game was over from the first quarter. All right, moving forward, I expect to see many more competitive games. Their next three against Pittsburgh, Vegas, and Cleveland. Mine's seven and five between those three teams. So even if those teams aren't necessarily going to be track meet games, they should be much more competitive games. The Teddy Bridgewater injury is the reason I really like Noah Fant this year. It may scare off some, but I got a couple things that could put your mind at ease if you're debating this bye. Noah Fant with Drew Locke last season was still a top 10 tight end in his age 22 season with a bad quarterback. And then the main lottery ticket, the main reason that Noah Fant needs to be a guy on your register is there is always that possibility of the Aaron Rodgers lottery ticket coming through next year. It has to be the favorite location right now, other than maybe the Green Bay Packers themselves, depending on how you feel about that situation. If Aaron Rodgers leaves, Denver is going to be on that short list of places he could wind up. And if he does, we see Judy skyrocket, we see Sutton skyrocket, and we absolutely will see Noah Fant, who will then only be 24 years old. His value will multiply tenfold based on where it's at right now. Numbers aren't hot to start the season, but the peripherals are great. The future looks good. I'm all in on Noah Fant if I am planning on contending in the near future.
1: Yeah, I really like this pick. I I, I like buying very athletic tight ends, almost exclusively, like no matter what, just buying very athletic tight ends. But a guy that has the numbers that he has, I mean, you're looking at 96 percentile or higher in his 40, his speed score, his burst score, his agility score, his catch radius. He is the most comparable player to George Kittle. Like this is a player that when he came out of the draft, everybody loved him. And his rookie year, his sophomore year, everybody loved him. But right now you're you're looking at a team that, has failed to address the quarterback for multiple years in a row and we're getting kind of uh, fatigued with seeing the Broncos trot out average or below average quarterback play. Well all it takes is Noah Fant getting an average or above average quarterback and a, uh, a scheme that utilizes him appropriately and he is a top four tight end in fantasy. I mean I, I don't think that's out of the question and Noah Fant has the ability to make it there on his own he just needs a little help from you know, some better quarterback play, which like you said, if Aaron Rodgers comes into town, you know, damn well he's getting that better quarterback play. It's a lot of the
0: reasons that we talked about in the preseason that I specifically talked about why I was in on Cortland Sutton, uh, even more than Jerry Judy. And I was definitely in the minority of that. Most of the community was going for Judy and Judy was off to a very good start. And I did throw the contingency in there that if Bridgewater wins the job, then I'm going to like Judy more, obviously draft season. That doesn't do a lot of help to you. You didn't know until I think preseason week three, who the starter was going to be, but, I think we always looked at the situation, or at least I did, is it was only going to be a year, maybe two, with either Locke or Bridgewater, so it didn't really matter. And then these pass-catching weapons, who are all still so young, Noah Fant, 23 years old, Jerry Judy, uh, 22, 23 years old, Corlin Sutton, 25 years old, they are still going to be viable fantasy assets for whoever the next quarterback to come along is. And if you hit that lottery ticket in Aaron Rodgers, these – all have the potential to be top twelve at their position, and Noah Fant, I think, like you said, could probably be a top five or six tight end in the league, moving themselves into a similar style jump as we saw out of his draft classmate TJ Hawkinson through the first few weeks of
1: this season. Yeah, all those points are more. I think I think it's a great selection for sure. Uh, on to the contender and rebuilder, cells. Sell. What? What are they selling? No, no,
0: no, no, take, just get it out of here. You can sell anything, sell, 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 anything. sell me
1: this f- pen right here.
0: You can sell anything, sell that. We all sell out every day. Might as well be on the winning team.
1: Sell! So I have the contender sell this week, and it is Joe Burrow. But I want to preface this by saying, if you're in Superflex, I would try to avoid selling Joe Burrow. If you're in single quarterback, I think now is the perfect time to sell Joe Burrow. So... He has been okay to start the year, but based on the public opinion, you'd you think he's an all-pro, and I kind of want to take advantage of that. That's the whole premise of this right here. So to start the season, he's faced some really cupcake defenses, and he didn't exactly blow up against them. I mean, the Vikings, to start the year, he went for 261-2, and pretty solid. The Bears, he threw for just 206 yards and two touchdowns. He also threw three interceptions against them. Uh, and the Steelers, when they were missing several impact starters, TJ Watt included uh, he threw for just 172 yards, uh, three touchdowns, but he also threw another interception. So not great. Uh, and then the Jags he blew up against on Thursday night. So uh, not great. But what's more concerning is the philosophical shift of the Beng- Bengals offense so far. Uh, wh- when I called Joe Burrow uh, a no-chancer in, in that episode this offseason, it was on the premise of poor efficiency and concerns uh, from him returning from injury um, but I was consider- concerned about the frequency that he'd throw the ball and the sheer volume that he'd see uh, would be enough to prove me wrong, right? And so far, it's it's been the opposite in the efficiency department and the volume department, but the injury rebound concerns have showed themselves. So he's been hyper-efficient on very low volume. Uh, his touchdown rate is 9.3% so far in 2021. That went up from 3.2% last year. So that's a massive jump in touchdown uh, rate so far. Uh, the Bengals themselves went from 13th in the league in pace of play in 2020 all the way down to 30th in the league so far in 2021. So the sheer volume of passing attempts and plays that the offense is experiencing as a whole has gone down uh, a lot. Uh, and that touchdown rate, along with a low volume, screams regression in terms of his touchdown rate. So that's going to go down very soon. And then the injury concerns. He went from averaging 15 yards rushing a game to about three yards rushing a game so far this year. Not that that small amount of rushing yards is going to affect his fantasy floor ceiling so much, um, but it's worth noting as a probable effect from the knee injury. So you know he's still experiencing some pain or some discomfort or some hesitancy with that knee injury. So let's move on to even his playoff schedule because we're contenders. We're looking towards the championship. His playoff schedule is tough. He sees Denver, Baltimore, and Kansas City in the playoffs, but you know Kansas City, obviously, great matchup. There's other two pretty tough if you're trying to make it through the playoffs. And his O-line, they're outperforming or overperforming, in my opinion. They were one of a bottom 10 unit coming into the league, coming into the season this year. Um, I think they've gotten the combination of a really good schedule and uh, have definitely improved slightly. But all it takes is one tough matchup, and Joe Burr is going to be running for his life again because that o- O-line is their paper tigers right now, in my opinion they are not as good as what we've seen thus far and i think that's going to regress as well. Last point i'll mention here is that he's throwing to a rookie who has been an absolute animal in Jamar Chase. Now i'm not saying Jamar Chase doesn't deserve all the stats that he's accumulated thus far and i love Jamar Chase as a player, but what he's doing in terms of scoring touchdowns is is insane. You know, if he scored this many touchdowns, if he scored touchdowns at this rate throughout the year, he would set the record for most touchdowns by a wide receiver. So i think you can see that coming down. And Joe Mixon, although he is seeing a an injury right now, uh, he only had one touchdown in the first three weeks. And with all the work that he's seeing, I think he'll likely have more touchdowns as well. So that will kind of bring down the chances that Joe Burrow will maintain his touchdown rate. So I like Joe long-term and much more in super flex if you're a contender. But I think if you're in single quarterback and you're a contender, it's a great time to get rid of Joey Bones.
0: Yeah, talking about the offensive line, and I feel like it always comes up when you and I talk about Cincinnati, because they've got to be the biggest whiff going for Jamar Chase over Penny Sewell in the draft, and you and I like to bring that up, and I completely agree with the sentiment that they're overperforming right now. The last two weeks against Jacksonville, who just really doesn't have that many NFL caliber players on that defense, and then Pittsburgh, who has plenty of those players, but as you said, a lot of them were missing. I think they were down at, at least two I can think of defensive starters off the top of my head, and I think. That trend's going to continue. They've got Green Bay this week. Um, Just going off the top of my head, Green Bay down their top two corners, top two pass rushers, starting defensive end, starting middle linebacker. Tons of injuries for that Packers defense right now. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that trend continue for another week. And then they go to Detroit, who, very similar to Jacksonville, just doesn't have that many NFL-caliber players on their defense. So I'm perfectly fine with selling Joe Burrow, but I'm probably waiting a week or two till baltimore week seven the jets are not a good pass defense but teams do not pass that frequently against them okay so the jets who who they have after baltimore that's week seven and eight then they get the challenging cleveland defense then a bye so you're going to have about a four week stretch there from week seven to ten where burrow's either going to prove us all wrong and he's going to have just an outstanding stretch against some talented defenses or his value is going to be about half of where it's at right now the offensive line, uh, back to that one last thing, first two weeks they allowed 10 sacks and they've only allowed one since then. So yeah, they've been beaten up on lesser opponents, NFL backups, and just bad teams. I don't think the offensive line has just miraculously gotten better overnight. And then the touchdown efficiency, like you said, it's been crazy. Doubled, or uh, More than one touchdown in every single game so far this season. That trend's eventually going to come to an end. He's a guy playing better than he is right now, and he's not even playing that great. He's a mid-range QB, too. So, I'm perfectly okay if you want to move on from now, see what you can get. All right, back to me. Finish this out. The rebuilders sell. Last week, I told you to dump Sony Michelle, obviously, home run. Get ready for the next home run, get rid of Chris Carson. So Chris Carson, a 27-year-old running back for the Seattle Seahawks, he's right now the RB 15 and half PPR. He's got 54 carries, 232 yards, and three scores through four weeks of play. He has yet to have a hundred-yard rushing game this season. Has only six catches for under 30 yards. Has not been impressive through the air. Touchdowns have been keeping him afloat, keeping him relevant. But right now, he's tied for. RB 37, or sorry, I should rephrase that right now. He is tied for 37th amongst running backs. As far as receptions, like I said, just those six catches on the year, a really troubling thing. And the reason that you should be worried about Chris Carson is he's seen his snap share and carries decrease over each of the first three weeks of the season and has been under 50% of the snaps in each of the last two weeks. The upcoming schedule for Seattle is going to be tough. They've got the NFC West rival LA Rams. It's very going to be very tough to have a positive game script against the Rams in spite of what you saw against them last week and against Arizona. Then he's got Pittsburgh, who currently ranks as the fifth best defense in the league against the run. And then the New Orleans Saints, who in spite of all their ups and downs are still top 10, they come in at ninth in fantasy points allowed to the running back position. So some tough matchups coming up for Seattle as far as their running game is concerned. The first four weeks of the season. Seattle has just a two and two record, but that's a little bit misleading as far as the game scripts they've been a part of so far. So Seattle has only been trailing for less than 20% of their plays this season. In spite of that 500 record, they've been ahead in a lot of these games and the games that they haven't been ahead. They've been in a neutral game script for over 70% of the time that they were trailing. So that less than 20% of times they were trailing 70% of that, it was still a neutral game script, which will not cause you to abandon the run. And Chris Carson's 13 career losses leading up to this season, he's averaged under 10 points per game in half PPR. He's a running back who needs to be playing with the lead, needs to be wearing defenses down in that garbage time scenario. He's been lucky as far as the game scripts have gone early in the season, and it's not a trend that I see continuing. Long-term effect. We're talking about rebuilders here. The Seattle Seahawks. Have a potential out on Chris Carson's contract after this season. If they decide to exercise that out, Chris Carson in the year 2022 is going to be a 28-year-old free agent RB. Ask Le'Veon Bell what that circus is like. No one's going to be touching him. Right now, you can still get some value out of uh, Chris Carson to someone who's making that title push who needs that running back depth. If they decide to exercise this out after this season and put him on the free agency market, you won't be able to give away Chris Carson. His value will be completely gone. If you want to hold on to him as an RB2, RB3, depending on your team makeup for a championship push, that's fine. He's going to have some value this season. I'm not telling you he's dead, but I'm telling you, he's coming to the end of the line. And we see every single year how that looks for running backs. They go from one day, you would be able to get a second round pick out of him, or maybe a flex caliber player to Literally, you can get nothing for these guys. And I'm saying the end is coming for Chris Carson.
1: Yeah, you're getting to the end of the line with Chris Carson. I think it's pretty obvious, especially with the points that you've laid out. And now is the time to get rid of him. Get him to a, get him to a contender where you can get their late second. Or uh, you can get maybe a younger uh, RB with upside. You know, Maybe someone like Elijah Mitchell or something like that. Find somewhere to find value in Chris Carson because on a rebuilder, he has little to none. So it's a great time to move on from Chris Carson. All right, bud. The final segment. So
0: this isn't,
1: this isn't one that you're going to ever forget. But it's one that I just came to my head, and I can't help but bring him up. Sometimes those are the best ones. Do you remember Mike Allstott? Oh, of course. Ah. Haven't you done Mike Allstott already?
0: No, I haven't. I swear you've done Mike Allstott. I swear. We need I to haven't. start
1: annotating <laughs> these.
0: I couldn't. Oh, um, I thought you did. Maybe well, I just run across, across that, him a lot. That doesn't yeah. even.
1: Even if I did. I mean, he's worth bringing up multiple times. Do you Mike do
0: you have Mike Alstott like locked in your closet or something? I and had. you're sending me vague hints right now.
1: Dude, I was a white beefy fullback as a kid. Like that, he was That's like fair. my hero.
0: <laughs> he was your role model.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had his Good jersey growing up. It was great.
0: Was, was he the guy you? Uh, so you say that I picked my number actually based on. So I was, I considered myself hard hitting, but I mean maybe amongst. 14 year olds i was hard hitting <laughs> but i was a white safety hard hitting and then here's your hint i wore 47 john lynch john lynch <laughs> good call you're, you're doing well on the guesses today
1: former teammate of michael John Lynch.
0: yeah there you go yeah. it all comes full circle
1: Dude, even on pro football reference they uh they they put a train next to Mike Allstott's name <laughs>
0: Is Pro Football Reference the one who just makes up creative nicknames for everyone that you've never heard of before? Like, I'm pretty sure they had—I'm going to look it up real quick—but they had one for Tom Brady that I had uh, never heard before in my there's life. There's
1: no Tom Brady nickname. It's just the goat or TB12. Like nobody. Yeah, I mean,
0: you would think so. That's that's the ones we've all heard of. Let me, yeah. Um, so TB12, Tom, terrific, touchdown, Tom, goat, the pharaoh, the, the pharaoh. pharaoh. <laughs> You'll Come never back never hear
1: reference Tom Brady as anything other than the pharaoh from now on.
0: <laughs> the pharaoh, comeback kid, or this one's just <laughs> sir. The last one they have is sir. Sir? <laughs> sir.
1: Sir Tom Brady. TB12. Like Tom
0: Terrific. Touchdown, Tom. Go the pharaoh, comeback kid,
1: or sir. All right. Well, ba- back to the man at hand here. Mike Allstott, six one two forty eight. This is Gosh, beef. Gosh, an animal. It's just a
0: slab it's, of beef. Uh, that's like almost exactly A.J. Dillon, actually, off the top of my head. I had to look that up a couple weeks that's ago. They the look identical. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think Dillon is six foot two fifty, so right there. Of course, he played for 10 years. I don't know if you could handle any more than 10 years playing the way that he played. Gosh, just yeah. Does any fullback
0: play more than 10 years in that era where they were actually utilized? Now you have like maybe half a dozen NFL teams who even roster a fullback. Yeah, that's
1: this is the crazy part. Like some of his best highlights were on receptions. Yeah, you saw that a lot.
0: Very uh, like Kyle Uzcheck esh where they're not esque where they're not going to be twenty touches or anything close to that, but they'll they'll make some good plays out of the backfield. And I think it's because like it's like having an extra lineman with wheels who can catch back there. You see him in the backfield, and you're like, okay, can't let him blow me up. And the the receiving work is going to be way far off in your mind as a defender. So when it happens, it's sort of a surprise.
1: Dude, as a rookie. He had sixty five catches on eighty one targets. What? Yeah. Sixty five catches? Sixty five receptions on eighty one targets. That's insane. What what year was that? Nineteen ninety six.
0: Gosh, you'd have been a PPR monster. Yeah. back there i mean this was i think that's before ppr was invented and it was still <laughs> newspaper box scores call your commissioner for transaction type fantasy football yeah but holy cow 65 that would be like top 10 amongst running backs even today good yeah. for
1: him that's insane right that's nuts yeah, i mean he, he never came close to that again throughout his career but that was his highest target reception total in 1996 and they were playing ahead of their time yeah good for them all right.
0: For more nuggets like that and late breaking news, make sure you follow us on Twitter. At, on Twitter. On Twitter. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at F for all the latest news. It will definitely get through our Twitter feed. If you want my spin on it, follow me at FF Master Debater. All right. Peace.
1: <laughs>